Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello everyone, this is Grace, the community manager here at the StoryCraft Cafe, and I am so excited to announce that our cafe is now open for business. We opened on Friday and we had such a great time. Um, So many people showed up, there was great conversations happening in the community. Um, We had an amazing interview with Christopher Paolini. The recording from that is up so you can go look at it on the community. Uh, And I am just, I was just overwhelmed with the amount of support that we were shown. So if you want to be a part of this project um, and come hang out with us, you can find us at the Storycraft Cafe. That's S-T-O-R-Y dot C-A-F-E. Again, that's storycraft.cafe. We would love to see you and I hope to see you there soon. Welcome once again to the Storycraft Cafe We have an amazing show for you today with Liv Constantine. As part of our launch month celebrations, Lynn and Valerie Constantine, who write jointly as Liv Constantine, joined me in the cafe to talk all about community and what it means to write a psychological thriller. Before we get into this fantastic interview, let's hear from Owen Coffer about how the popularity of Artemis Fowl took off. Well, to be honest, Hank, when I started, it was a one and done kind of deal for me because I, up to that point, I had been writing my books in the in the spare bedroom in our little house, which which had become the baby's bedroom at this point, and uh, they had done very nicely in Ireland and strangely enough Denmark, um, but that was kind of it, and, and they paid for the summer holiday maybe, uh, so. When I wrote this book, um, the first Artemis Fowl book, I, I really thought, I don't know how many people are going to read this because it doesn't have a traditional hero um, and it's about Ireland. So I felt I was creating a Venn diagram and in the middle of that diagram was a very small intersection of people who would read the book. So I thought I'll do one and um, I, I wasn't even sure I would get it published. and. Um, so it was a complete shock to me when I sent the manuscript to an agent, the first time I'd ever troubled an agent, and uh, she took me on, and we've been together for over 20 years now, and uh, in within two months, I think she had sold the movie rights and sold the book to several publishers worldwide. And I was just, every day seemed it was like Christmas because I was getting another phone call to say, well, we've sold it in uh, Yugoslavia or we've sold it in Norway or we've sold it in Australia. And I just couldn't believe this was happening. And uh, and really from there, it's been ever since then, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster of every year, another book or maybe two books coming out. And I think because I was married already and with a mortgage and I was in my 30s that I didn't really have my head turned I just wanted to keep working keep working and and I've been like that ever since and so since that time I think I've had 40 books um, come out and there's been foul video games foul movies foul graphic novels foul comic books everything and it's just been it's this little book that's just taken over my my career and I'm, I'm delighted 
that's happened but it's really difficult to just get your head around it i mean when someone says to you 25 million copies you can't even imagine what they would look like stacked on top of each other so i prefer just to think of it as a case by case basis you know when i meet people like yourself i'm talking to you or if i'm if i meet someone who read a book like i read met someone today i'm just talking to that kid so I, I avoid the larger picture, if you know what I mean. Welcome, everyone, to the StoryCraft Cafe. We are continuing our launch month celebration. And, you know, last week we had Christopher Paolini for our launch day celebration. And we talked all about writing fantasy and science fiction. And today I wanted to have on a couple of my absolute favorite writers in the whole wide world, Lynn Constantine and Valerie Constantine. They write together as Liv Constantine. And a few years ago took the the publishing community completely by storm um, with their book, The Last Mrs. Parish. And it it just blew everyone's mind and, and turned the the genre on its head, uh, you know, for uh, and just did wonderful things. And I, I got to know uh, Lynn and Valerie a few years ago, and I I couldn't think of anyone better to bring on the show. Um, so I'm happy to have Lynn and Valerie. Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Well, thank, thank you. you. We love you. Yes. We, uh, before we get started, uh, I have an announcement uh, that uh, we're, we're having a raffle uh, every week this month. And um, we'll be giving away one Writing Mastery Academy membership every week in April. Entering the raffle is simple. Just join the community and make a post in any of our public spaces. This week's lucky winner is Angela Watt. Our next drawing will be next Friday. So, Angela, you are our lucky winner. Congratulations. Uh, join us next Friday at noon Eastern for a chat with psychological fiction author Sarah Pinborough. And then at 2 o'clock Eastern, we're going to have back-to-back shows next week, and we're going to have historical fiction author Taylor Brown. There's something for everybody this month, so be sure to tune in and join us. Um, Lynn and Valerie, how how are you guys doing? We're great, thank you. We're together for a change. Valerie's here at my house, so she's sitting out in my husband's office. You just saw walking down the stairs trying to get our dog, I think, to leave. trying to (laughs) Wondering why I'm in his office. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I when I emailed you last week, Lynn, you said uh, Valerie will actually be with me that time. Yeah. Would it be, you know? And I was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine my luck to to get to have you both there together. So uh, that's awesome. Perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a, a little bit since we chatted last. Um, your last book, The Stranger in the Mirror, um, was. Uh, was amazing. I loved it. And, uh, you know, uh, has done amazing things. What, uh, what are you guys working on these days and, and why are you together? Well, we did did an event right last night, um, for the friends of the Fairfield public library, um, which was wonderful in person with, uh, um, Hendricks and Wendy Walker, um, at the, um, Sacred Heart community theater in Fairfield. So that's why Valerie came up. Um, and we've done, we've been doing some Audible stuff. So we did an Audible original quite a while ago and just put it in print, um, the first shot, which is an actual prequel to The Last Mrs. Parish. It's a little novella. And um, we have another one, not 
prequel, another Audible coming out in May called Misconception, an Audible original. And then we have another manuscript that we're um, finishing up. Hopefully we'll get into the hands of readers sometime, maybe next year. Um, can't really say too much about it. And then we have like a little secret project that we're working on that again, we'll be able to announce maybe in a, a few weeks. Nice. So, so. Well, and there's a lot of uh, interesting things going on in publishing these days. You talk about the Audible originals, and um, that's happening more and more, and and people are writing new material to to go to Audible first, and yes. and you know they're taking the place of a publisher in a lot of ways. Um, what are you guys seeing? Uh, you know, as authors who are, are well established in your genre, um, how do you see? audible coming in and shaking things up i think they've done an amazing job um, first of all the uh these short stories that are novellas for audible are only maybe two to three hours and i think that that is some is a welcome thing for some readers there are a lot of I, you know i've heard a lot of people say oh i can't really listen to a 12-hour book i don't when am i going to do that i really i don't drive anywhere that's that far but a two or three hour novella is terrific. And what, what Audible has done now, they've gone further and they are actually doing plays where it's just all dialogue and there are sound effects. And so it's sort of hearkening back to the old days of radio when there were radio plays, you know, people get before television, people right. gathered around the radio to listen to stories. Uh, and, and Audible, I think, has touched something there as well. I think that's going to be very popular. Absolutely. Um, for people who who might be who might not know your story, you guys are sisters, and um, as such, uh, do you? Is there a a storytelling gene that runs through your family? That you know, you come from a long line of storytellers, and you know, kind of got you guys started uh, wanting to tell stories and, uh, you know, before we get to you writing together, what, what is your, your family history with storytelling? I mean, we have a long history of sitting around the kitchen table with our mother and our aunt and our grandmother and, and hearing stories from their childhood and from yeah. friends that, you know, that they've known. So I, I think, um, which is probably true for most people, um, with your families and friends, but we've always, loved storytelling and always been big readers and together. So we would go to the library once a week and pick the same book out and then we would discuss the, the, the book. So there's been a real love of reading and literature as well as, as storytelling and interesting things, you know, happening in the community or in the past. Wouldn't you say, Valerie? I would. And I would, I would add that we were also lucky. I'm sure there are lots of other people who have had this experience and there are many who have, who have not, but our grandmother, you know, came from Greece. And so there were lots of stories about Greece. And then she studied in Egypt for a few years. So we heard oh, those wow. stories. Um, and that just, just sort of added an exoticness, I guess, to the storytelling that we heard of these faraway places that we'd never visited when we were kids. Uh, and, and so that also, I think that whets your appetite even more when you hear about lands you have not been to. We yeah. were very fortunate. And and before you guys uh, published the last Mrs. Parish and and really got into the the thriller space that you um, are dominating these days, you guys actually wrote um, some other stories together before that and and published a few years ago. Is that right? We did, we did. Well, it was a story about a Greek family, 
uh, and it was over 20 years ago now, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't yeah. seem that long, but it was. I mean, in some ways it does. Uh, and it was a story about two sisters, second generation uh, Greek-American sisters, not by autobiographical at all, maybe a teeny no. bit, no. right? <laughs> and based a lot of the characters on people in our family and people we yeah. knew. And then we had a few cousins who said, the movie gets made, I want to play, blah, 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 and uh, which was always a fun thing. And so that was our first foray when we had no idea what we were doing um, into collaborating and publishing. So. For uh, when a lot of people write their first book, um, there's a lot of them in that story. Uh, writers tend to, and I don't know if it's just because uh, your story is so close to you that a lot of you comes out in the book. And um, it, it, it seems like a, a lot of times you just kind of need to get that out in, in the first story. And then once that's out of the way, then you can sort of move on uh, to tell other stories. But do, do you think that's a, a common thing that for a lot of people's first book, there's a lot more personal attachment to it and a lot of uh kind of holding the mirror up to yourself so to speak and and you know the the, the first thing you write is more of a reflection of you i mean it certainly was true for us i don't know for others if that's you know their experience and i also think it's likely that for many people that first book may still be sitting in a drawer so there's not a way to necessarily to know you know yeah. if you look at a, a debut um, I mean, and now with a lot of the really fabulous debuts in the genre that are coming out, I hope that's not true because they're very dark. <laughs> you know, for, for the benefit of those authors, I hope for their sakes that it, there isn't too much of them in that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that that's been said, and I would think it probably is as you're, you know, kind of getting to know your writing style. And and then you know, I think that we all would all have a tendency to try to want to make sense too a bit of our histories and, and of our lives and so for us it, it definitely got poured into that book um and, and i think too it was a bit intentional as well so for circle dance we wanted to leave a legacy for our children because valerie and i are not married to to greek husbands nor our brothers and we grew up in a, in the greek community where my parents pretty much all of their friends were greek we went to the, you know, to the Greek church. There were lots of, there were dances, activities. And, and so it was almost this microcosm really um, within society. And we knew that was not going to be the experience that our children had. And also we had a connection to Greece through our grandmother who was born there and who had a Greek accent, spoke mostly Greek, cooked all the Greek foods that, you know, she wasn't my children, never met her. So we wanted to leave something for them to see, well, this this is your heritage and this is what, you know, what you come from. And so I I think that was also why the book was so much, so close to us. Although again, like I said, the two sisters, their stories were not based on our lives, yeah. but definitely um, the their parents and the their aunts and uncles and stuff, they were drawn from our own family. Around that time, um, that very popular movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, came out. And, you know, it was a stage play in a in a book and the whole nine yards. And I think that was a lot of people's first um, um, connection to Greek American culture. Um, was that a fair representation? <laughs> really no. funny that you say that, right? Because 
um, it came out just as we were pitching our book. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and, <laughs> right. And um, I loved the movie. Lynn loved it as well. Our mother, not so much. She no. thought that was a terrible representation. And we kept saying to her mom, it's, you know, it's supposed to be funny. It's a, you know, yeah. it's a spoof kind of thing. It's a, oh, no, that's not how we are. But anyway, um, the second time she watched it, she thought it was funny. So she did come around. Um, is it a fair representation? Maybe it is in some cases. In some cases, not not so much for our family, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And the window. So, Totally not. The Windex. No, no, Windex. <laughs> Greek words, for sure. Yeah. Our grandmother would always say, that's a Greek, you yeah. know, gymnasium, that's a Greek word. <laughs> well, as um, someone that's from South Mississippi, and I have a lot of Cajun um, relatives, you know, no matter what your ethnic heritage is, there, there's something funny, um, right. you know, about right. about what, you know, where we all come from. And yeah. it's you know, people, people are going to make fun of, but if you can laugh at yourself, that's even better. Right. So that, that book was 20 years ago, give or take. Um, and then, you know, fast forward about 15 years or so. And uh, what made you guys start wanting to work together again, but, you know, in a completely different subject matter? Um, I was writing, we had gone, you know, not our separate ways, but just within our, our careers and our lives. Yeah. And I had twin, small twins um, and I had moved to Connecticut at that point. And it was really when I, I went to Thriller Fest back in, I don't even know, 2011, 2012, maybe. And um, it reignited my wanting to get back into writing. And I wrote a thriller on my own at the time. And I, I told Valerie, you really have to come with me to Thriller Fest next year. It's a great conference. And she did. And she said, you know, I'll, I'll come, but I don't read thrillers. And I said, well, it doesn't matter because they really teach a, a lot of craft. It's just a great experience in any event. And um, I think Valerie was the one who said to me, well, would you be interested in collaborating again? And I said, yes. And we wrote a book, which was really more women's fiction. Okay. Um, and we spent, I don't know, maybe about a year on that and had it professionally edited and we were pitching it and really wasn't going anywhere. And so that well during that time the idea for the last mrs parish came to us and um again it wasn't an intentional um, decision we didn't say we're going to write psychological thrillers we just came up with the idea for the story as we were walking and talking not even about writing just this whole idea of you know of what's going on in that book and um when we got our agent she said to us this is a psychological thriller. And we, we were like, oh, okay, we, we had no idea. Because, you know, so, and our sister-in-law who had read it said, you know, this is a thriller without a murder. And so that launched, sort of, it did launch the Live brand. And um, we, since then, graduated to murder. And the books got a little darker and a little bit more and more. And um, that just sort of set the, set the path for us. But I mean, we both really. Did you say we graduated to murder? I did. did say in that. our books, in our books, <laughs> let's be clear, not in real reality. But yes, I, I mean, the body count definitely went up uh, as the books, not with all of them. I mean, and they're not, as you know, we don't write horror, so it's not right. intuitive and it's not. But I mean, you know, people are, you know, there's some casualties in, in our books now. And, um, and so that's how we ended up going this way. But it really, it was not ever. Um, a conscious decision for say that this is what we're going to write. It was, we really just follow the story. Yeah. So Valerie, you told Lynn that, that you didn't write 
thrillers or, or psychological right. suspense. Right. What what did you consider your um, your zone, your genre. your preferred genre to write? Just contemporary fiction, uh, and may and if I had to narrow it, I would say women's fiction. Okay, certainly no murders, and no, <laughs> and the uh, I mean. I think that, you know, contemporary fiction can be dark as well. Sure. Um, there can be people who are dark, uh, but it, but not the sort of, you know, suspense, holding your breath, waiting, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. I need to turn, I certainly would want them to turn the page, but right. not because they wanted to know who was going to get killed or, yeah. right? So it's a little bit different. More about what issue, you know, relationship issues and how people interact with each other, families. That kind of thing, which actually are books as well, right? I mean, you know, I do think that that they really are, they really are much more psychological in the sense of relationships and synergies and trauma and the things that people go through, you know. And we build in twists and turns and hopefully surprises along the way, but we definitely um, are character driven in our books, much more so than plot, I would say. And- and one of the things that I love about your books is that um, you feel very close to the characters and to the um, the the plot that's that's evolving. It's it's very um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very um, uh, claustrophobic <laughs> almost in that the, yeah. you you just feel like you're in the story. Um, you're very close to the characters, and you know some psychological um thrillers may may have a very wide scope and you've got uh you know events that are happening in a city and you know who's doing it and that sort of thing but, mm-hmm. but yours are, are very um you feel very close to the characters very uh, almost like the the stakes are pulling you into the story mm-hmm. um so d- does that come from um your love of other genres that uh, and and kind of weaving those elements into the story. Whose turn is it? It's your turn. Well, first of all, thank you. And that's wonderful to hear. I, I love hearing that. Um, and, and I think that is true. As Lynn said, our books are definitely character driven and we get yeah. really involved with our characters. I mean, I know, when we're in the midst of, of developing, especially the first go round, um, we you you really live with these characters. They're with you all the time. You're thinking about them when you're walking or taking a shower, sometimes even dreaming about them, uh, and we r- really come to care about them. And when we have to kill someone, it's really painful. It's you know um, when when someone has to die. Uh, so I, I th- again, thank you. And um, I'm glad to hear that because we, we do care a lot about our characters and we, and, and I feel like we get to know them really well. Right. Um, you guys wrote uh, uh, an, an op-ed piece uh, or, or um, for crimereads.com um, mm-hmm. a while back, the rise of the female stalker in fiction and film. Um, there, there has definitely been a, uh, a tide that has turned, uh, in psychological suspense and thrillers, especially where, um, you know, as you talk about in this article that, um, the, 
the roles have have changed in a lot of stories and um i credit you guys uh for a lot of that there's there's a lot of uh shift in the way that we see stories and the way that stories can come about um what do you guys um attribute that to or, or how do you feel about the changing roles and um who we consider typical good guys bad guys uh you know if you want to look at it black and white like that i think that um gone girl was was really a, a, a watershed moment for yeah. the, the genre because all of a sudden you know you're looking at this seemingly likable character seemingly victim at the beginning of the book and it and it's totally turned on its head and i right. think it almost gave permission to to be able to write female characters that are not perfect any longer and i mean not that they necessarily there's a spectrum of course now in that book she was the bad guy i mean and you know even though although the husband wasn't great either um but i think it was a it really gave us a freedom to still write a protagonist who isn't necessarily the villain, but who isn't perfect and who can make mistakes and have secrets and do things that are not conventionally in, you know, in the women's fiction, the perfect woman who looks perfect, acts perfect, all of that. And right. also, again, to switch it around so that sometimes, so you don't know, we have it, it doubled the playing field in terms of who the bad guy is, because it's not a guy necessarily anymore. Right. It's, it can be, you know, one person, two person, whomever. Um, and I, I think it, it really opened the floodgates for more interesting and layered and complicated characters, which is great because it's much more interesting and much more realistic, I think. Yeah. What do you think about that, Valerie? What do you, what do you think about the changing tides and the, the way we tell stories and, and how we see the typical protagonist and antagonist and, and, and that dynamic? You know, I think it's such a, a reflection of um, society. Um, and the women women's changing role in every area, really. When you when you look at it, uh, I was talking to um, oh I, well, actually I think we were Lynn and I were talking. we were talking about how different it was when we were in corporate America uh, and in a boardroom full of men who constantly interrupted you, mm-hmm. and not not even you know having to to sort of get as much as you could in. Whereas today it would be, that's the third time you've interrupted me. Let me finish here. And, and that would be accepted. You know, there's more of, of, there's more parity. And and so I think that as that has occurred in corporate America, in politics and, you know, in just so many arenas that art has followed it. Um, And so the storytelling has reflected that, which is terrific. As uh, as co-authors, do you see a changing dynamic when when you come together as Liv Constantine and this third entity kind of shows up? <laughs> it's that's not necessarily Valerie and it's not necessarily Lynn, but the combination of the two create another writer. Um, do you do you notice that change that happens as as Liv comes into being? No, fortunately, there's no, <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> like, like, it sounds like a, it could be a good plot for another book. No, I, I think um, we, it, we're still pretty much, indiv- you know, individuals and who come together. And fortunately, we being sisters and having written together for so long, a lot of our styles 
are similar. Um, and so the finished product hopefully does appear to be coming from one person. And we do have a thing we, we joke as we're in the midst of, a, especially of developing a project where there is a bit of a mind meld where yeah. we'll start to talk and I'll say, what if we name her and we'll both come out with the same name or what if, you know, I'll have an idea or Valerie will have an idea and that's exactly what the other one was going to say. So there is a bit of a merging in that sense, but not, there's not like a third person coming out of that. It's just more, it's more of a, of a, a unity, I would say. Okay. I would agree. Is it sort of like, um, you know, family musicians talk about this interesting the way that that family members can harmonize together mm. um like that that there's you know they just almost have a sixth sense of what the other person is doing and and have have the ability to 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 just merge in in ways that other people can't yeah i think that's a good analogy for that that's great yeah i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah, definitely um, Ashley Hatter from our community uh, had this question. She said, given that character motivations may be imagined differently by each co-writer, is there a method that y'all have perfected for zeroing in on the most advantageous motivations, thereby preserving the momentum of the story and wheedling off the chaff? Hmm. I thought that was a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, we talk about our characters extensively before we even begin to write. Although, having said that, the character still changes as the writing goes on because just as you get to know a friend better, the longer you spend time with that person, the longer you know them. It's the same way with writing characters. As the, as the story progresses, then the character becomes more known to us and perhaps we even go back and change some things. Um, but I think because, it, because plot is also an integral part of the process, the characters, the, the general shape of the character is also driven by the plot. And so we, we have a pretty good outline of what that character is and then um and then as we get to know the character better it, it comes in into its fullness and yeah there are things that that definitely get cut along the way or, or if we go back and say well he wouldn't really say this I, I think this person would say that they would say this and we do that i mean and to answer also to go on to what you're saying the question about if we have a difference of opinion there are times when one will write something and the other will come back and say, this really doesn't sound like, I don't think she would say this. I don't think she would do that. And typically if, if, if the other one doesn't agree, well, then we'll talk it through and say, okay, this is the situation. Do you really think, you know, after she was just kidnapped, she's going to go hitchhiking or, you know, I mean, with that, something like yeah. that. And then we'll talk about it and, we'll, and, and we always come to an agreement because you know, there are times when you're writing and you're going away and, and we are as, since they are developing, we are two different people. We can be kind of going in a different direction, but we have together laid the foundation for who the character is. And so, uh, or we may even get on the phone and say, I'm not really sure, you know, what she would do in this situation or really what's going on here. What, what do you think about it? Or we need to develop him or her more. So that's how we, and we revise so many times that by the time it's finished, any discrepancies have been worked out because we are looking at each other's work over and over and over before the book is finished. 
when when you guys wrote the last Mrs. Parish, um, and before it came out, and uh, you know just took off like a rocket, uh, like it did, um, did you know that you had uh, something special on your hands? You know, but before all of the the stuff happened, did did you have any idea that it was going to be what it wound up being? Hmm. Well, we and, certainly, and that's, that's such an unfair question to I, ask. I, I know, you know, but, we uh, sure hoped it. Um, yeah. I do think, no, I don't think that we foresaw everything that happened. But we, I, I do think that we both felt very pleased with the manuscript when we handed it in. We, we loved it. And we just hoped that everyone else would love it. Would you agree, Lynn? I do. I mean, I do think we we both felt like it was a special book. We we knew that it, it, we and it propelled us because at the time, of course, we were not we we didn't have an agent. We we were not represented, so there was it was a self imposed deadline. And I do remember feeling a very huge sense of urgency to get the book done because it just felt like you know we didn't want to. It, it just felt very timely and um, like it needed to be finished and you know, just before like someone else wrote the book, I guess was, it was the thought. Um, so I do think that, I mean, again, as Valerie said, I mean, we could have never anticipated Reese Witherspoon, which was just amazing and continues to be amazing, or, you know, even being in People Magazine, those kinds of things we didn't think about, but we did feel like this was a special book that almost wrote itself and that we really felt compelled to write. What do you do when you get the news um, that, that you're going to be picked uh, you know, by like Reese Witherspoon's book club, which, uh, you know, um, which is an honor in and of itself, but it, it, I'm sure it comes with all sorts of attachments. You know, when, when, once you get recognized, um, by this group of people that usually leads to other people looking at it. And now we know that it's being made into a film at Netflix. And, you know, I, I would imagine that the, once the ball gets rolling, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen. What what goes through your mind when you first get that news? <laughs> we were um, stunned when we got the news, and it was right, right on the heel of you know being in People Magazine, which for us was you know like the, the apex, right? And then yeah. right, right after that was Reese Witherspoon. We got the news. We were together at the time. Lynn was visiting me, and we were, uh, and our agent uh, said we do you have time to sit down for a call with me and, and, the, and your editor? And we thought we were in trouble. I was like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? So we did, we were sitting at my kitchen table and my husband was there and um, they said, are you sitting down? And we said, yes. And she said, well, we just want to tell you that you have been picked. You've been chosen as Reese Witherspoon's pick for the month of December. And we both sort of exclaimed and we're like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing news. And, um, and they said, but you can't tell anyone oh. until they announce it. And it was like three weeks away, the announcement. Yeah. And my husband, when we got off the phone, said, what was, what was that all about? And he is the last person you want to tell a secret to. Forget it. <laughs> it will, you know, secret. I don't think he even knows the meaning of that word. And we couldn't tell him. We couldn't say anything. Um, oh so we made God. something up that he's just sort of looked like. Well, uh, but that that was thrilling. But I also have to say that it it brings with it 
a lot of pressure um, for the second book, which we were uh, going to soon be in the process of writing. Um, and, and so there's that too. There's, there's that side of it as well. Well, there's a certain, um, there's a, I, I like to talk about the gift of anonymity uh, mm. you, when you're writing that first book, um, because no one's expecting anything. They, they don't know that you're working on this book. They, they have no, no expectations whatsoever, but then you get a book, your first book comes out and, and Reese Witherspoon is blowing it up and, you know, people magazine is calling you and then you have to sit down and start plotting out that second book um it is that as nerve-wracking as i imagine it to be it was torture the second book yeah (laughs) it was very 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 difficult and um i think that was our hardest book to write to to date when you yeah Uh, i mean and we love that the last time i saw you and it was a very different book um from the last mrs parish much quieter book more of a murder mystery sort of agatha christie um and again we love the characters in that book and and um but it but it was it was just really difficult to um because we didn't really know we you know we knew what readers were going to be sort of expecting but you can't deliver the exact same book um and so that was a hard book but then when we came to the wife stalker the wife stalker was a similar experience to mrs parish where that book we really had a great vision for it and it came very easily um and same with pretty much same with the stranger in the mirror so Hopefully we don't have to go through that sophomore type of experience again. Yeah. But I mean, you hear that all the time, like where they call it the sophomore. <clears throat> I mean, I think I think most authors struggle with that second book. Yeah. In music, they they uh, talk about how um, you know when a band first comes out, that first album is is usually songs that they've worked on for years and and you know practiced and had time to write and all that and then by the second third album you know the members of the band are shopping for curtains in their new mansion you know and, and so you know it's it's different priorities make for different art uh, a lot of times but um when when you're writing together um is your your planning process different than when you're writing separately um, do you, when, when working with a co-author, do you find that there's a different level of planning that needs to happen so that you're, you're not stepping on each other? Uh, you're, you have the same vision for, uh, characters and where the plot's going, um, as opposed to when it's just all in your head alone. Um, it's been, well, we, we, I mean, we do have our routine pretty down pretty pat at this point. So we speak every morning when we're writing uh, and, and we have our plan for the day where we're, where we're headed, you know, who, who's writing this chapter and who's writing that chapter and, and a general idea because we do give ourselves the freedom to change things or to be creative, but we do have a general outline of where we're going. Um, and there are times even that we might write a chapter that comes away later in the book. It doesn't necessarily have to be chronological, but we have our assignments and we finish that through the day. And then we speak at the end of the day, we exchange the work that we've done. We edit each other's work and then we move on. So, um, I think we've, we pretty much have, uh, I don't think either one of us feels like, oh, I'm being held back from, 
where where I want it to go um, because we have we talk about it so much and we're you know it's a daily thing do do you um how do you divvy up the the um the writing tasks um you Valerie you said that you know someone may be tasked to write a chapter uh then then maybe Lynn is you know tasked to write the next chapter how how do you decide who writes what well as Valerie said we do speak every morning and we talk about what's next in the book and we both we we just volunteer you know I'll write this you write that um and we write it at the same time because again it doesn't matter if we happen to write something that doesn't mesh completely because we're going to fix it later. So we just go and write. And, um, and sometimes I'll write a half a chapter and then send it to Valerie and say, I I really don't know where else to take this. Do you want to take a shot? And she'll say, sure. And and she'll do the same with me. So it's a constantly evolving process. And I think with every book, it changes a little bit as well. And we find a better way to do it each time. Um, And and it just goes like that, you know, day by day. Uh, and it, we usually just know what we have a vision, eat, you know, for writing for each of us. So it's it's not ever really a situation where we both are wanting fighting over a certain chapter to write. You know, it, it just it works out. Do you have a vision for the end of the book? From I, I know you you talked about the you know there's a certain level of planning that goes into the book, but but when you first start. Uh, you know, hatching the idea for it. Do you know how the book's going to end or does that come later through the planning process? You know, some people can visualize the end of the book and then, you know, have to create everything that leads up to that. And some people have a a dynamic beginning, but have no idea how it's going to end. And then, you know, start figuring out, um, discovering what that ending is going to be. What, what do you guys, uh, what, what's your process like there? You know, in thinking back to each of the books, I we have a pretty good idea of the ending. We have a general idea of the ending. Um, we don't always know exactly how it's going to get there. Things ch- can change along the way. And even the, um, the ending can be refined a little bit. But I would say that for the most part, we have the ending figured out when we begin. Um, and as you said, that is, that's not true for everyone. I know, I, I remember listening to R.L. Stein, who writes the Goosebump series, and yeah. uh, he, writes, he writes the title and the last line of his book first, and then go, you know, starts. Um, yeah. like and, how do we get there from here? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that we, and then there are others who just start writing and have no idea where they're going, and um, but turn it turns into something wonderful. So we're in the middle. We we have our general outline. We have we kind of know what the big twist is going to be, and then the little twists come along the way. Would you agree? I would for the most part, but there are times. I mean, we know what the major twist is, but we don't always know how that's going to resolve itself. So there have been times when Valerie said, "Well, you know, what's going to happen to her at the end?" And I'll say, "Well, I don't know. We'll have to figure it out." So, right. So, I mean, there are some major endings that we don't know. Mrs. Parrish, we knew because we started with a twist and with what was going to happen. Um, but it's, I think it's different with every book. But generally, as Valerie said, I mean, we really the, the one thing we do know is the major twist. That's how we start our books. Is what's what's the big twist going to be, and then we take it from there. And for the wife stalker, we. Um, 
had two different endings. Uh, and, and we, I mean, we had one ending that was the one we were going to go with. And then right before we turned it in, we said, what if we do this instead? Um, and we sent both of them to the publisher. Um, and, and then there was, you know, a consensus of, I think we should go with this one. And it was the second one. It, w it was not the original ending. Was a I little love how you, yeah. I love how you talk about the major twist in the book when there's actually like 18 twists <laughs> in, in a Liv Constantine book. Um, it, is that something that you look forward to the misdirection of the reader um, knowing that do you get all giddy inside knowing that, that I have invested so much emotional energy in this book and you're just going to pull the rug right out from under me. We certainly hope so. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, we work very hard to make sure that we are not being unfair in the misdirection and that, that, anyone can go back and read and say, oh, okay, no, I thought, I thought she was this, but she really never said that. It was, I, I inferred that from the way that they wrote this. And so again, we, we look with a very careful eye when we're finished to make sure there isn't anything disingenuous in someone's thoughts. So if there's going to be some misdirection or lying, it has to be either in dialogue and they're intentionally lying or they have to believe it in some way, you know, because we're just really sticklers about that. I don't, it, we don't think it's fair to have a twist that someone can't see coming because you, you didn't play fair. So uh, yeah. we do have a lot and we do have a lot of fun trying to figure it out. And because we, and we also know that people are looking for that. So we have to say, all right, well, their reader's going to think this, if we do this, they're going to expect that. So we have to make it like this. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Lynn, you talked about going to um, that that writing convention and uh, uh, and, and, you know, how motivating that was for you. One of the um, one of our uh, goals for the Storycraft Cafe is is to have a place where writers can come and inspire each other, motivate each other, be a, an ear for when when days are bad, um, you know, just to have that interaction with other writers that, uh, you know, that, that you can only get by being in community with other writers. Um, what does community mean uh, to you? Uh, and are, are there people that you share your work with other than uh, your, your co-author? Uh, what do you do to stay connected to the writing community and, you know, just for your own mental health? Um, I think, yes. So International Thriller Writers is the organization that runs Thriller Fest, and that's a wonderful organization that I would encourage everybody to look into to joining. Um, it is free if you're with a with one of their approved um, publishers, and it's, I can't remember, it's under $100, I think, for somebody to join because when you're not, because we had joined before we got published and we paid at the time. And anyway, and they have this, and I've met, we've both met and made friends with so many wonderful authors. It's, it's really the most supportive community in, of any uh, profession or endeavor that I've ever been involved in. And um, yeah, if, we don't typically um, share our work. We do have some beta readers, but if there's a, a concern, if we've written something and we're really feeling too close to it and on the fence, we do have a few author friends that we will share it with. And because we know that they'll be honest because they, you know, they get it, that we don't just want them to say, no, it's great, you know, and they, and they write in the genre, they read in the genre. So that's very helpful. Um, you know, they, 
support we support them in sharing news of their work and they do the same for us um my wendy walker and i are doing a thing called real book talk now which is a 60 second reel for new releases and so we we do a quick little interview and we post that on instagram and TikTok for on release day for authors so there's just a lot of that going on in, in the community which i mean i can't imagine navigating the publishing career and the writing career without that support and without those friends yeah um your your first book we mentioned earlier the last mrs parish is being made into a movie uh at netflix um how does it make you feel do you have uh hopes do you, do you have are you nervous about it at all you know having someone take your work and interpret it in a way um you know that your hands are you know completely off of it for the most part is there any trepidation around there or is it all excitement i think it's pretty much all excitement and uh, and they've been absolutely wonderful with sharing the script and asking for input so that's been amazing we didn't necessarily nice. expect that and it doesn't always happen. And and we've had a, the advice from other authors whose work ha has been made into film. It doesn't belong to you anymore. And now that's right. the movie. That's not the book. Uh, and so I think that we did, you know, we went into it feeling that way that, oh, all right, we, we hoped. I mean, they did talk to us first and it, and they did. It felt like very much like they had the same vision that we did. Yeah. which was great. That was yeah. terrific. And as I said, we've seen uh, the first pass on a script and it, we were pleased with that as well. So yeah, just lots of excitement around it. And, you know, I, I don't think there's any trepidation at this point. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the form of the novel um, lends itself to uh to more leisurely tell the story. There, there are things that you can draw out, even though you need to keep the pace up. Um, just the form itself just lends itself to, um, to, to be able to take time and to explore things that maybe a two hour movie, you don't get to explore as much. Um, do you, do you know, or do you think that there are things that, Will have to be trimmed out or and and do you think that affects the story at all or do you think it it becomes something different um definitely because it is going to be a film not a, a series and i think yeah you always have to cut things out from a book for yeah. the film but um as valerie said you know we really have a lot of faith in the in the screenwriter she's done an amazing job even on the first pass and really we feel like really um, capture the characters and the heart of the story very, very well. So I don't think it's going to miss. I mean, I think hopefully it will prompt people to want to read the book and learn more from right. that aspect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's, I think that, I think it'll be a sufficient time to convey what needs to be conveyed. And yeah, and we have a lot of confidence in the, in the team and the whole team. Um, a, a fun question that I've been asking here lately, and this uh, will be fun to, to get your answer. Um, what is a piece of writing advice that you have gotten 
Um, maybe it's something that has been a tremendous piece of advice that you've held on to and, and maybe it's helped you at some point at some point, or maybe it's a horrible piece of advice <laughs> that you think about and go, Oh my God, I would never do that again. Or I'm so glad I didn't take that advice. Um, Valerie, do you have something that comes to mind? Yeah, I have one of each. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Right. The horrible advice I got, now this works for some people, is to be in a critique group, mm. uh, if, you know, especially before you're published, um, and to, to just be in this group with other writer, other people who are also trying to break into writing. And I think that, um, and I and I did do that, and there were, I mean, you're you're with people who you don't really know have the kind of expertise and um, wisdom to really judge the work. So I think yeah. um, I, it can be a great thing if you're with terrific people, but it can also really be uh, sort of damaging to your uh, self-esteem and your confidence. <laughs> um, the great, I think, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever either heard or read is don't wait for your muse to show up, sit down and write and write and write and uh, don't stop. The more you write, the more you can write. So. Yeah, that's, that's excellent advice. Uh, what about you, Lynn? Uh, so I think the best advice is, and it came to, to us when we were, pitching that very first book that I mentioned that never did get published. And it was keep writing the next book. And it doesn't matter, write the next, write the next, write the next. And from different authors at Thriller Fest who had maybe six or seven drawers, books in their drawers, and they kept you know, going. And that, that, you know, which also goes again with perseverance. So I think that is the best advice I would give a new writer is, okay, if you're not selling the first one, write the second one. And if you don't sell the second one, write the third. I mean, of course, after editing and doing what you need to for the sure. book. And I think the word, this wasn't necessarily personally given, but I, I think advice that's not so great is the write what you know adage, because I don't think that's true. I think you can research and it's more, I mean, how many books can you write on what you know? And it's part of the fun and the fascination to me of the writing life is learning new things and immersing yourself into a new world when you're learning about what your you know character's doing, whether it's just hobbies or professions or all of that. So um, I would say write what you are passionate about and what interests you and what you think is what's going to make you want to sit down and write every day. Great advice. Whether you start with the last Mrs. Parrish, the last time I saw you, the wife stalker or the stranger in the mirror or the first shot, the, uh, the prequel, um, where would you recommend someone jump into your work if they're just discovering you and know nothing about Liv Constantine? Where is the, the ideal uh, on-ramp? <laughs> oh, well, I guess start at the beginning, right, Valerie? Let me start with Mrs. Yeah, Parrish. With Mrs. Parrish. Um, yeah. If you're um, looking for a, you know, what a, sort of a, del a decadent, delicious read, as they call it, if you're more of a mystery uh, Agatha Christie, that type, then I would say last time I saw you, um, if you're really deep, deep, deep into psychology, would be the stranger in the mirror, I think. Okay. 
Yeah, and the Wife's Daughter would be in the same category as the last Mrs. Parish, and the prequel to the Parish. You could really, a lot of people have email and asked, do I need to read it first? And you really don't. And in some ways, I think it's better to read Mrs. Parish first because it gives you more context for the prequel. I do too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because the prequel I mean, is a totally prequel. different story. Yeah, about Amber, but yeah, so you don't. It, it doesn't ruin the prequel to read Parish first. I was going to ask you if it mattered if you read the prequel, uh, if it if you could read them out of order, because because sometimes you you do have a reveal in, that then when you read the prequel, it it kind of messes up if you know, you know, that. But mm. good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, I don't think there would be a spoiler either way, but I think you probably there's some things that happen in this first shot that would make more sense if you read The Last Mrs. Parish first. Right. Gotcha. I, I agree. Gotcha. Where where's the best uh, place to find? Uh, is your website the best place to yeah. go if someone's yeah. unfamiliar with your work and want to dig into all the stuff that you do? Yeah. So Definitely. liveconstantine.com. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, and that has all our social media links as well. Great. Well, we're going to send everyone to see you, Lynn, Valerie. Thank you so much for joining thank me today. Um, it's great to be here. Excellent. Always ask great questions. Thank you. Yes. Guys, uh, that's all for today. Join us over at storycraft.cafe and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>